Hey guys, John here. I also have Michael with me again. We actually did our Stephen talking Stephen King episode. You guys can also catch that on your audio only podcast, or you can go in and catch it on our YouTube channel. But either way it goes, it's a pleasure to actually have Michael back again. We're going to be doing our sales lot review. Go ahead, rate us on Apple Podcasts and also too on Good Pods and on Spotify as well for your audio only podcast episodes and stuff like that. So with further ado, let's go on ahead. Let's do this thing. Let's open this thing up to Salem's Lot. This is our Salem's Lot review. I hope that you guys enjoy it. Let's do this. All right. Welcome back, Michael. It's It's been a couple of days. So how you been doing? I've been really good, man. Really excited for this one. I am too. I'm excited to talk about Salem's Lot. Of course, this movie came out in 1979. It's a mini series. You can actually catch this on Tubi for free if you want to go on ahead and uh, watch a bunch of TV commercials while you're watching this movie. But this movie is also a mini series that came out in 1979. And here's the thing I remember watching this as a kid and not remembering the context with stuff and things like that because I think at the time all I cared about was the vampire stuff and I didn't care about the romantic stuff or things like that. All I wanted to see was the horror aspect of it. And that was it. But just to get you some grounds, uh, ground set here, it starts at a church in Grometa. A man and a boy, Ben Mears and Mark Parti, are filling small bottles with holy water. When one of the bottles begins to inip an airy supernatural glow, Mears tells Mark that they found us again. Knowing an evil presence is nearby, they decide to stay to fight it. So, it opens up on a mystery level. You don't know what you're getting out of this movie whenever you first hear it. You're like, Sam's Lot, what's that, right? But here's the thing. Whenever you look at Sam's Lot, this movie has not aged well. This movie really is cringeworthy and through this movie. there's Even within a three-hour time frame, this movie is not as good as I was hoping it would be as I remembered as a kid. But... Underneath that, there's even the part where basically the main character comes into town and he winds up hitting on this girl that just happens to be reading his book. And he winds and he goes, well, and also, too, I like how the girl calls him out. Aren't you married? Oh, I winded up. My wife died like two years ago. I'm like, OK, dude, you've just gone into this small town. You don't know anybody. It's been a while since you've been in this town since you were in high school, probably. And now you're hitting on this girl. That, to me, was a little cringeworthy for me. But what worked for you as far as this, as far as the setup goes? Well, that that first setup took out a big plot point um, for potentially in the film. Uh, in the in the book, um, Susan doesn't know off the bat that his uh, wife died. Um, it's actually found out by uh, Susan's mom, uh, who's really against Ben. Uh, she was really hoping that you know um, Susan would end up with uh, Floyd Tibbetts. Um, and she was a really rooting for that couple. And she uses Ben keeping his wife's death a secret to kind of ruin their relationship. So, you know, they're one of the big, uh, one of the many differences in the books. So I thought that was kind of interesting. I, I hope they, I mean, I can see why they did it. It's kind of like a sub, you know, kind of like a side story uh, between Susan, uh, Floyd and Ben. But uh, that's something that I'm more interested to see make uh, because Susan's mom is a you know she really opposes Ben in the books not once did she actually like him okay so she doesn't even like the guy at all so no. she's kind of like has her 
guard up the whole time about him, just like how basically the whole entire town does, in a sense, because of the fact that he wants to go ahead and write a book about the Marston house. So that's yeah. also another thing that everybody's wondering about, too. So is that part of the book, too, is about everybody's has their guard up in this town about him because he's just a stranger that just came into the town wanting to write about the Marston house? Um, I really didn't get a vibe from the book that everyone was kind of against him. I, you know, I'm sure they were, they were questioning on why he was there. Um, but you know, the, the Marston house is, is pretty much its own character. There's a really big backstory about, you know, the, the, you know, the previous owner of the Marston house. Um, and it, it kind of, you know, kind of sets the tone on why, uh, Straker and Bala were there. So it was, it was a very interesting, after watching the movie first, it was a very interesting, uh, little tidbit on the history of the Marston house. I would like to see them dive more into the history of the Marston house versus just let the house be the house. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah, the, I seem, it seems like to me the house was more than just a house to me, just by watching the film. So I wanted them to be able to explore more with the Marston's house with the remake. Cause with this one, you didn't really get much out of it. All you got was, okay, there's a strange antique dealer that happens to be living in the Marston house. And then you have, of course, the main character also doing the investigation within the Marston house. So with that, to want to write a new novel, which is also kind of like a tip of the hat to Stephen King, if he was going to go into a small town and also hit on this girl, too. But, you know, I think that, like I said, this is definitely outdated, but I would like to see more groundwork within the Marston House. Right. Because well, I, know, I, know, I know they tried to do that, doing that with Castle Rock. Right. And, and in the history, you know, with the Marston House, you know, uh, Marston was actually... You know, he he was he was a bad guy, and uh, you you know, not not to get into it, but he ended up uh, it was a murder suicide, and and you know that that took place, and why that house is you know vacant, and right. uh, turns out that you know Barlow was actually invited to the town, which was I thought was awesome. So, to me, yeah. I think that would have been a better outlook instead of yeah. him just showing up out of nowhere, which means that would actually give him more of a reason to be there, just all of a sudden just to show up just to write about the Marston house. Right. And also too, it has like a, in the kind of context that you're telling me, it has kind of like an Amityville kind of storyline in a sense. It does. Yeah. And, and one, and one of the big uh, deals on why Ben is so obsessed with that house is, you know, I mean, he wanted that house from a dare and he ended up seeing, you know, Mr. Marston hanging from the rafters and you know, that that's what kind of etched that house in his mind. I gotcha. Another thing, though, too, is, I mean, I, I liked how they tried doing that in Castle Rock, but it didn't, it fell flat again with them trying to do that. And I think it would actually work good in the remake if they wind up making it where you have the house sitting on top of that hill. And then, of course, you see the Marston, I have seen Mar- the Marstons, and he and then explains the backstory within the Marston house. And then it goes into our main character showing up. I think that would set it up better. Yeah. Yeah, it really would have. Um, but like I said, you're trying to cram, you know, the, this is a pretty violent, you know, past on that house. And, you know, this is a made for TV series, you know, so there's only so much you can put in or describe, especially in the time frame that it was made in. That's true, because this movie came out in, in 1979 and was re- aired on, as a matter of fact, it ended up airing on uh, CBS. Yeah. And it was also cost them $4 million to make. Right. So yeah, that's that's deep. Um, 
But another thing, too, that I, I wish that they would actually incorporate. Now, my question is this. Is the anti-dealer in the book, or is it just happens to be that maybe vampires are inside the Marson house? No, it was the it was the antique it was uh it was Straker that brought um Barlow into the town. And it, it's okay. it's very similar with the book. Uh two guys did pick up Barlow and drop him off in the house. Okay. That was just something I was wondering about because I was thinking, okay, maybe they can get the main character from Needful Things to come in, but never mind. If that's canon in with the book, then that's fine with me. I mean, I'd like to see more of a backstory about the antique dealers, a little bit about how how they come into town versus them just be, showing up in an antique shop that's about to open. As a matter of fact, that's the same thing that happened in the Needful Things. We have Leland Gaunt, who winds up being an antique dealer, opens up this little place in Castle Rock. So that's something that I would like to see in a remake is more groundwork with that. Right. And then, you know, speaking of the remake, you know, the, there is a lot of... Uh character development that I would like to see the major, major character developments, you know, um, uh, for some reason they, you know, uh, Matt Burke, you know, the, the, you know, the guy that, uh, he meets and helps him out. He's, his name is actually Jason, uh, uh, Jacob Burke in the miniseries, but his name of the book is Matt Burke and he plays a really big part. Uh, so does Dr. Cody. So, you know, it, as, as far as like your old school, you know, Monster Hunter team up. You have you have Ben, right? You have Doctor Cody. You have Matt Burke. You have Susan, and and then uh, I'm drawing a blank here. Uh, you want to help me out with the name of the kid? I know who you're talking about. It's not Jace. Uh, can't think of the kid's name now. But go on ahead, though, Danny. Well, no, Dan, uh, Danny and Rafi Glick, those are the uh, those really creepy vampires. Mark, Mark is the guy. Mark, yes, yes, Mark. Yes, sorry so, about that. So, so it's that team. So, um, Doctor Cody um, wasn't even in the miniseries. They they actually used Susan's dad as the doctor of the town, which, which really took away from Doctor Cody because Doctor Cody in the book. Not only, you know, did they go to try to convince him, but once he started believing, you know, he's, he decides to join them and, you know, sneaking into the house and and he actually meets a pretty gruesome end. So I was a little, you know, I felt I was robbed with his character not being in the miniseries after reading the book. I could see that the Doctor would actually have a bigger deal than him being inside. You know what I'm saying? It seemed like there was more to him than what the miniseries was giving us. And I wanted to see more of the doctor, to be honest. Right. You know, and, and, and of course it's a totally separate character. You know, I was a little, a uh, little taken back on, you know, they decided. Uh, Cause you kind of, if you think about it, the doctor reminds me of like a Van Helsing kind of character in a right. sense. It's funny that you say that because in the book, you know, you have, um, you have Jacob Burke who, kind of is helping Ben out. He's probably the main guy that, that's been helping Ben out. Uh, same so in the book, but in the book, he went from, okay, you know, I, I, I believe you, but but then as he gets going, he starts to do research, and he becomes the Van Helsing character, which kind of took away from him being his own. I, I felt that Stephen King kind of um, made him, you know, the all-knowing guy. I don't know if you watched the show, the, the show Supernatural, but towards, you know, the, the later seasons, they had, you know, they had the two brothers and, you know, 
their their main older guardian research guy doing all the work for them. That's what it kind of felt like. Yeah, I wish that they would actually give it to somebody else instead of that, to be honest. But my favorite character is Mark, though, because of the fact that he represents us as film fans and us as people that uh, love watching horror movies. So that's my favorite character in the book. I mean, not in the book, but in the movie itself. But also, too, I thought here's another thing, though, too. You actually see how bad this community is, this town is. Sorry, I hear a little bit of echo. Um, but, but anyways, uh, what I was going to say was this. Two, I feel like the thing that my favorite part, though, I would have to say is basically when you see the main character go into the auditorium and they're having that horrible Thanksgiving Day play. But behind that, though, there's actually a lot of ground detail that they actually give us. Like, for instance, they give us the town history a little bit of of Salem's Lot. Because if you remember Pet Cemetery, they were giving us, like, Indian burial grounds and stuff like that. So I was eating that up a little bit. Now, yeah. do they have anything like that in the book? Uh, well, you, as, as far as the town goes, the, the most description you get from the town is actually... Uh, through the chapters of, you know, the, the lot chapters is what they, what it is in the book. And it kind of describes, you know, the, the people that live there, uh, a lot of side characters like uh, Mabel Wirtz um, and uh, all, you know, and, you know, Eva Miller, who is in the movie, uh, but they really don't go in depth with her. It just describes the people that live there, you know, um, Charlie Rhodes, another person that wasn't in the movie who had a, uh, pretty awesome encounter with vampires. He's actually the, uh, the school bus driver. Um, once everyone started turning, he decides to go on his bus and he sees all these kids who've turned into vampires, just looking at them with like yellow eyes. And then all of a sudden, you know, they're not saying anything. They just start to walk towards them. And then that's all, that's all it is. He, he just ends up getting eaten. So there's a lot of characters I would love to see in the new remake that, that they took away from in the, uh, the miniseries. That's what I feel like they need to do with some of these, though, is add in the characters that they missed out. Because it seems like they have a lot more to do, even whenever they have characters that they already have in there. Yeah, they're there, but they're not there to serve the narrative of the purpose. They need to have a little bit more meat to them, I think. You know? Right. Right. You know, I mean, I I mean, there's differences. You know, you have your, um, of course, you have, you know, the, the, you know, the main cop. You know, and he and he runs off with his family. But there's another guy in the book named Homer McCasklin. Uh, McCasklin, he's the sheriff. And uh, when he's looking for missing people, he actually once uh, Susan turns into a vampire. He's witnessing Susan and Barlow walking towards him, but it, they're not walking; they're actually just kind of floating, the way it's described. And that's how he he meets his death. And that's something that I would. I would love to see, you know, in, in the in the remake with, you know, how the vampires are, yeah, still like your classic vampire, but it's just something we don't see in cinema anymore. Right. I feel like that they will actually give us the classic vampire that we want. It just needs to be updated with better special effects than what we had. I think that they can go practical, but also blend in the CGI. Right. Well, see, I, I'm a little on the fence with how they're going to portray... Kurt Barlow because 
I love the aspect of him just being like this vampire. No dialogue, no nothing. Because in the book, he's, he's a very articulate uh, person. Uh, when, you know, he goes into Mark Petrie's house and he, you know, and, and he has that confrontation with Father Callahan in the miniseries, it's uh, Straker doing the dialogue. In the book, it's actually Barlow saying that to Father Callahan. So they gave, you know, in the series, Barlow didn't have any speaking lines. He's just kind of like this evil entity. Well, in the book, he's actually uh, a very brilliant, articulate person. So which version would you like to see? The one that you read in the book? Or you would rather see basically him being the puppeteer with all these other vampires hiding behind the shadows? You know, the, the, when I was a kid, I'm watching it and I saw Barlow. I'm like, this is like the vampire this is like what i like to see this is you know kind of like lurking around and no one really knows you know what he looks like or where he is um i love that aspect but you know in the book towards the end when they're hunting him down they you know enter the house and barlow actually leaves them a note because he knew that they were coming and he's actually taunting Ben and Mark and and he's saying, you know what? I know you guys were coming. I'm not here. Um, and he sets up little traps, and that's how Dr. Cody falls into the trap. So basically, Dr. Cody walks in. Uh, floorboards were cut from the to the basement, and the basement actually had boards with um, with knives and, and and all the sharp objects. And Dr. Cody actually falls in there. And Mark is able to escape and tell everybody what happened. So I like the brilliance of Dr. You know, Mr. Barlow in the books, but I also like the just the the beast that he is in the TV series. So if they can find that sweet spot in between, I, I think it would work great. But right now I'm leaning towards him being just a, a nonverbal menacing character. I wouldn't mind that because 99% of acting is just glancing, glaring, and that's it. And just being that menace in vampire, to be honest. But if they did do that, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing that if they would go ahead and change it up. But, you know, I think that another thing too is that whenever Susan gets captured, I didn't feel no, I didn't feel like she was uh, in trouble. I didn't really feel like, she was a damsel in distress. I was like, eh, she's just there. She's in this dark room. It would have been more scarier if they had the vampire in the room with her versus them just putting in the putting her in this chair, strapping her down, restraining her to the chair, and she just happens to be there. Right. Uh, you know, speaking of, you know, kind of that atmosphere, do you remember the first Conjuring movie where the daughter was pulled from her bed and she sits up and she's looking behind her door and she can see something? that no one else can, and, she, and yeah. she's just terrified. Um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about that is that, you know, if, if they did something like that with, like, the remake where it's mostly atmosphere instead of, like, some of the jump scares that they had in the miniseries with Marlo's hand popping out, um, it, that, that's something that I'm hoping they would do and not just rely on just blatant cheap scares. Uh, this is a dark, dark book, and I'm hoping that they they stick with it and stick with the atmosphere. You know, I mean, they got the right idea when Mike Ryerson was burying Danny Glick 
and then it turns dark and it gets windy and all of a sudden he pops out from his coffin and bites him. You know, something like that with that atmosphere, you know, especially with a vampire movie, I, I think would be awesome to see. I think so too, because I would like to actually have like a slow build towards the towards the vampire rather than it just be you know, not saying that this film is not a slow build because it does have a slow build to it. You're like, okay, where's this going? Where's this leading to? Because you're not sure where it's going to lead to because of the fact that they don't show you anything. You All you see is the antique dealer. You see the author going into the town and everything. You're not quite sure what's going to happen. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden it just turns into a vampire movie. Right. And, and you know, and, that, and that's one thing where I, I wish they would focus a little bit on the town, the town chapters. Yeah. In the book, where you know they're describing how that's what I was wondering was lively as it used to be. Um, you know, not a lot of people were at you know Dell's, is you know, kind of like their local watering hole. You know, and they they didn't put that in the miniseries, and I think that would have made a really good impact on just seeing the town just slowly go down the drain everybody missing people dying off um well it's like a little bit of it pennywise it kind of flavor to it but with vampires yeah if you think about it yeah but I, you know i'm really hoping for a really dark gritty type movie um i'm not sure if you well i'm sure you have but if you noticed in the movie underworld those darker tones of color and all that i i think um, you know, that would really help the film get that atmosphere. I think it needs to be then that kind of atmospheric kind of environment. So that way we can, so the way we can capture how dark this town actually is. And this whole entire deal is too. this town. It, it's to be honest with you. The townspeople are really screwed up. Yeah. Like you have this, the wife who's cheating on her husband, who happens to be one of the movers who's supposed to be moving this, uh, this coffin. And with this vampire in it, and he's putting himself in danger, and he doesn't even know it. But she's gonna go off with this one guy who's putting the movers. Uh, this guy who, what what, is, what, is, what kind of job does he have? Because I all I'm gonna all he does is go on ahead and set people up to be where they're moving people uh, movers from one place to the other. Well, in the book, he's actually um, he's actually the the real estate agent that sells right, uh, right. Yeah, that sold the Marston house that, you know, that uh, sent Ben to uh, Eva's boarding house, you know, j- just so he can find a place to stay. So, but, but he was really, uh, you know, he, he does have an important plot point where, you know, he's helping the bad guys on the side and, you know, just removing it from the books, you know, j- just so he can get away scot-free. Right. Because he already knows what, um, what this guy, what the antique shop dealers after, and all that stuff. Well, he doesn't know. He just doesn't ask questions. He just kind of does it for money. That's it. Yeah, for money, basically. But still, the guy's a douchebag. He's a total ball bag. He winds up sleeping with this guy's wife. The next thing you know, it, the guy comes home, and I like how this is actually the day and age before text messages. <laughs> he acts like he's going out on this trip, so he's uh leaning next to the uh window of his home just to see what's going on because he knows something's up he takes the shotgun points it into the real estate agent's face and he was going to kill him right right and then the the real estate agent was going to was saying no she raped me and everything 
And of course, you don't see what happens to his wife, the dude's wife or anything like that after he leaves. But then we wind up seeing the repercussions afterwards with the real estate agent where he winds up dying because of the vampire. Right. I mean, you got those characters that are just kind of there to to move a plot point forward. Um, and what what I really what I really like is that they really kind of stayed true to the Mike Ryerson character, uh, the groundskeeper that was uh, bitten by Danny Glick is when um, Matt Burke took him into his house or Matt slash Jacob Burke took him into his house and he slowly turned into a vampire there where, you know, he goes to check on him and Mike Ryerson, you know, stands up from that rocking chair, nice and slow. He's got, he's got the yellow eyes. Um, But in the book before that, you know, Matt Burke is actually, he hears kids. He hears a child's laughter in uh, Mike's room where he's sleeping. And that's when he calls Ben to come over to, to help him out. Well, in the series, it's, uh, it's Matt and Ben sitting down together when Mike comes up to him, telling him that he doesn't feel good. So a little difference is here and there, but it's the laughing of the, of the child inside that room that they left out. And that would have that would been really creepy to to see it happen. Most definitely, I would love to see that happen. But uh, is there anything else that you would like to see from the remake, though? Um. Well, I'm really happy with the the Straker character on, on who's playing him. Um, and it's, it's it's the guy from Game of Thrones, which I'm really excited about. He was awesome. He was a total douche in Game of Thrones, and I'm sure he's going to bring that villainous attitude into this movie. But I'm re- not necessarily what I want to see. I'm just curious to see on how they're going to portray Kurt Barlow in this new movie. Hey, Brandy. But yeah, I definitely would love to see that too. I mean. This there's a lot that they can actually put into it. I want to see more of the town history. I want to see more layers to the to these characters than what they gave us. Yes, it's 1979. This stuff is actually outdated. We actually got to see him punch the vampire, which I'm like, okay, that is um, really unrealistic. Not to say that there's such thing as vampires, but you know, you don't just go ahead and just punch a vampire right as he's coming up and then that's it. And then you stake him. And then also too, there's no blood in this. I mean, yeah, I know that it's made for TV, but you know, there's hardly any blood or anything like that. You don't get to see anything. I wish there was a, like more of a little bit more of a more realistic kind of feel to it when it comes down to that. So I'm hoping that we actually get that an R rated version of this. Cause right. I think this, this movie definitely deserves an R rating. This movie does not need to be PG 13. No, no. And, and uh, one thing I do want to see is uh, Charlie Rhodes gets eaten by the kids he drives to school. I, I think that would be uh, a pretty awesome scene. That's something I would like to see. And also, I, I would like to see um, Ralphie and Danny Glick, um, because in the book, he, the mom, their mom, is saying she's having dreams of Danny going through her window and comforting her where it's actually happening in real life and she's slowly being turned into a vampire. So that's what I want to see. I want to see those two scenes because um, that kind of explains on how people are turning. Uh, they, they, they really don't, you know, get into how all the others turn. It's kind of like, oh, there's vampires. So all the people that are missing are vampires. They don't show how it's happening. And that's what I want to see. That's something that I would like to see though, too, but I want to see a little bit more of a background of the vampire and know where he comes from, his background, and 
stuff like that too? Do they also point that out in the book, or no? Or it's just like they do. Just, but he's not a very old vampire. He's not like an ancient vampire. He's probably about a hundred plus years old, and that's it. You know, so he's in, in vampire terms, and what we see in film and in books, he's, he's a very young vampire. Okay, and, so basically, yeah. to him, he's old and ancient, but to us, he's not. Sense, right, right, right. Because you know, like Dracula, you know, you think about Dracula, you think about all these. You know, if you read Queen of the Dams, all those vampires are in the five hundreds. You know, and this guy's only like a hundred plus years old. So, you know that that's uh, and for him to be portrayed as like you know a nonverbal character that's just menacing, kind of didn't make sense because of you know how young he is vampire wise. But in the book, he was actually very articulate, which is which is my kind of like 50-50 on what I want to see on film. Okay, so I know we only have like a minute left until uh, we're off. I only have one more question. Now, remember when Danny and his friend is walking in the woods and then he gets captured by the antique dealer? Mm-hmm. Now, my question is this. Did that actually happen in the book or is that something they just added in? No, that's something that happened. Okay. Yeah, that's something that happened. But the the the, the part is they're they're doing a search for Ralphie, right? And Ralphie was the one that turned that turned Danny. It, it it was a lot longer in the books. Like it was a lot more of a big deal of them searching and searching and searching. Uh here it's kinda like, okay, well this kid went missing and all of a sudden everyone starts missing too. Um but that's something I can do without in the movie is like, you know, that long search for for Ralphie, right. um, a, lot, a lot of the um, the reasoning that the doctor gives is, oh, he was anemic, you know, he was a, it was a sickness. Um, they also did that in the book, but in the book, they really did a great job describing on how all these people are dying from vampires. And then there's this one character, and, and his name is escaping me right now, who died of a heart attack. And in the book, the, the line says he was the only person in Jerusalem's lot in the last year to die a natural death, which I thought was awesome. So it kind of gives like this whole, this town is turning into an absolute shit show and everyone just being murdered by vampires, except for this lucky guy who died of a heart attack. Okay. Well, I'm hoping that they skip uh, the search party part. I'm hoping that maybe just put some missing signs on there and then it goes into maybe one or two days after afterwards or whatever and then they continue on with the story rather than them searching for the kid over and over again we don't need to see that in, in right movie. and you know i mean they're, they're gonna take a lot a lot of liberties in making this movie i mean i mean i don't know if you've seen return of salem's lot and they took a lot of liberties when they made that movie so is that the one where it just takes place out in the desert from the basic uh, the source material but yeah can you hear me okay Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Uh, what uh, takes place in the, desert, in the desert? Does the second one take place in the desert? Uh, yeah, yeah, I believe so it does. Okay, that's what I was asking. Um, but because that's the one I've seen, though, too. I've seen the one that takes place in the desert, and I also saw the original. So, yeah. But with that being said, I do want to thank you, Michael, for being able to come out and everything and do this review. I do appreciate it and everything. And guys, go on ahead. Go over to Good Pods. Go over there. Go over to um, 
Apple Podcasts, Good Pods, and all that places to go ahead and check out our only audio podcast. Also, too, go ahead. Don't forget to like this video. Also, too, if you want to see more, we just got done dropping our Moon Knight Episode 4 review. So go ahead and check that out on our channel. That's only specifically just for our YouTube channel. So if you're listening to this, check out our Moon Knight review. We have all four episodes of our review up now on our YouTube channel. Check that out. Also, too, don't forget to like. Don't forget to subscribe. Tomorrow night, 8 o'clock Central Time, 9 o'clock Eastern Time, I'm going to be doing my Elvis documentary review that I did. Um, Well, that I'm going to be doing tomorrow night. So go ahead and check that out. And, of course, guys, go on ahead. Follow me underneath Movie Lovers TV Lovers Night on Facebook, underneath St. Brandon on Instagram, and on Pinterest as well. Then, of course, go on ahead and follow me underneath Movie Lovers Unit on Twitter, Movie Lovers Unit Zero on TikTok. And then, of course, go on ahead. If you want to donate to to us, how do you do that? Just go ahead and go to buyusacopy.com forward slash movie lovers and that's how you can donate five to ten dollars to tap five to ten dollars to us but of course smash that like button commenting below smashing the little bell on the bottom right hand corner to allow you guys to know when we have something new out also helps as well so that's everything that you need to know here about movie lovers night of course if you're a sponsor or would like to be on the show just go ahead and reach out to me at gmail uh, movie lovers night at gmail.com and that's everywhere that you guys can go ahead and reach me at Thanks again, Michael. I do appreciate you. And once again, always until next time, guys. Sunreal, it's been fun.